I'll tell you what, I'm not feeling like Revelations tonight. Is that all right? Is that okay? Let's um let's go to the gospel according to Luke chapter 17. Just ask a simple question before I get started tonight. Are you really ready for Jesus to come on back? I mean, sometimes we get so caught up in this world and sometimes we get so in love with this world that um, we're okay if He comes and we're okay if He don't. But I'm thankful for tough times in our lives that, that bring us back to the reality of this whole world is not the place to where we want to be. Um, this is not our home. This is not the place to where we're going to spend eternity. Praise God for that. Um, and so um, while there are many things that we can enjoy in this life, I think sometimes we need to be brought back to the, to the reality of things, and that's that this world is cursed. It is cursed, and there is no hope in it. As good as things can be from time to time by His grace and His grace alone, um, it, is, it is not where we want to spend eternity. So in Luke chapter 17, verse 20, I'm going to talk to you tonight, I believe, about um, how we can make sure that we're ready for His return. Because the Bible talks about that there's going to be many in that day that say to Him, Lord, Lord, did we not do many great things for You? And yet He will look at them and say what? You work of iniquity. I never knew you. I never knew you. And so those are people that apparently had some sense of awaiting for His return because they called Him Lord, right? And yet, whenever He appears, He says to them, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. And so this is a, this is a passage of Scripture that, um, that I want to look at and just see how we can make sure that we are ready for His return. And so in Luke 17, beginning in verse 20, we're just going to take just one verse at a time and just see what the good Lord has to say as we go through it, okay? So in verse 20, "...being asked by the Pharisees..." Now, y'all remember who the Pharisees were? They're not disciples of Jesus, are they? They are actually, in one sense, His enemies, if you will, because they're seeking to kill Him. They're always trying to trap Him. So the Pharisees asked Him a question. And they wanted to know when the kingdom of God would come. Fair question. They're Jews. They're waiting on the promise of God. When is the kingdom of God going to come? And Jesus answered them, and this is what He said, "...the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is." Or there, look, there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So here's what he's saying right here. 
The Pharisees are looking for the kingdom of God. They're looking to establish some massive kingdom here on earth in which some great ruler, a Jewish ruler of some kind, is going to come and restore the nation of Israel in the flesh here. Jesus looks at them and He says, you're looking for some great sign. You're looking for some great great um, event to take place for the kingdom of God to come. I want to tell you, the kingdom of God is not coming in great signs or observations, but instead, the kingdom of God is already here in the midst of you. Now, what's He saying to them? What does that mean? That He's there. That's right. So I want you to think about it. Here he's talking about his first coming. They're still looking for the first coming of the Messiah, right? That's what they're looking for. He's standing right in front of them, but they don't know it's him. They don't believe it's him, all right? He looks at them and he tells them, the kingdom of God is not coming with great observations. Well, let me ask you a question. When Jesus was born, his first coming, how many people knew about it? Maybe a few more, but we know Mary, Joseph, um, who was the other one? Shepherds, who else? Elizabeth, okay. The wise men. So you got a handful of people, right? A handful of people that know that Jesus is here. But it didn't come, so there wasn't, yes, there was a star in the sky, but how many people in the world recognized that as a sign that pointed to the coming of the Messiah? A few wise men, right? And so here he's saying very plainly, if the coming of the kingdom of God in the beginning, it is not coming with great observations. So in other words, my first coming, very quiet. Not many know about it, all right? And then he says to them, the kingdom of God is actually in the midst of you. And as Tammy so noted, he is saying here, I'm here. I'm standing right in the middle of you and you don't even know it. Now, look what it happens in verse 22. And he said to the disciples, so now the conversation changes from the Pharisees who were looking for the first coming to the disciples who know that He's already there, right? The disciples are no longer looking for His first coming. They want to know, when are you coming back again? Alright? And so, He turns to His disciples in verse 22, and He says this to them, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. What is it about a believer in his life? What, what could possibly happen in our lives that would make us desire, long to see just one of the days that Jesus would be here with us? And that's exactly what he's saying to his disciples here. He's saying, you are fixing to be living in a time. Y'all tracking with me? You are fixing to be living in a time period between my first coming and my second coming where there is going to be a longing inside of true believers. And that longing is going to be, Lord Jesus, please come quickly. Why don't we see more of that in our lives as believers today? He says it right here. That there ought to be, and I believe unfortunately, as Robert said, unfortunately, 
It takes tragic events like we have all been through here lately and continue to go through. Can't catch our breath. We keep going through it. And unfortunately, it takes times like this for us to recognize and be reminded that this world really is cursed. I was um I was going I went to Taco Bell the other day. I was working and I had been catching samples all day and hadn't got to eat no lunch. And so I went to Taco Bell, got something. When I came back, I pulled up and I looked over in the road and there was a man laying in the road, just, just laying there. And I recognized him. He was the, he, uh, y'all probably know him. He's the medley man that tries to walk around town now, but he's had a stroke and he can't hardly get around where he had fallen. And so I got out of my car and I ran over there and there was a lady that had pulled over and was trying to help him, but she couldn't do anything. And so I went over there and I'm trying to help him. Well, he fell last week and he broke some ribs. And so every time I tried to help him up, he just screamed and he just hollered. And so I told him, I said, we need to call an ambulance because he had busted the back of his head. I said, let me call an ambulance. He said, no, I'm not... He said, I'm, he said, this happens about once a week. I'm not going to call an ambulance every time this happens. And um, I said, buddy, I said, I'm just here to help you. Tell me, tell me what to do. He said, it's going to hurt. He said, but just help me get up. And so I got up and under him and he was hollering. And I mean, I finally, I just, I just jerked him up and got him up. And um, I, I walked him and helped him back up on the porch and set him in his chair on the porch. And he just sat down and he looked at me with just such a, such a depressed look in his face. And I, I, I knew the look. And the look was, I'll just be frank with you tonight, life sucks right now. That was the look. And, and I, I did. I just sit down with him and I said, um, I said, it just ain't no fun getting older, is it? And because he used to walk everywhere, he used to y'all know you know who I'm talking. About. He went, he walked everywhere, trying to find change. That's just what he did. And um, and so anyway, it it takes us really seeing the curse of this world on our life for believers to really move to a place to where we say, God, I don't want this world to be my home. This is not what I want. This is not who I want to. Um, I, God, I want to be where you are. I want to be where this stuff don't exist. I want to be where people don't grow old. I want to be where people don't get sick and die. I want to be where people aren't poor and, and kids don't have anything to eat. I, I, I want to be where you are. And so here he's saying that in believers, he turns to the disciples and he says, there's coming days when you will so desire to see just one of the days of the Son of Man. But unfortunately, look what he says here. Unfortunately, you will not see it. Not yet. Not yet. Why? Because He ain't come back yet. We're still in this cursed world. We still have to deal with it. But look what He says in verse 23. And during this time, some are going to say to you, look, look there or look here, but don't go out and follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. Now think about what he's saying right here. He's telling his disciples the difference between his first coming and his second coming. Now what did we say was um, um, a special thing to notice about his first coming? What's he telling them about his second coming? 
Don't trust anybody that says, oh, Jesus is over there, or there He is over here. No, you will know. Nobody will have to tell you, look, there He is, or look, here He is. No, no. He says it again. Let's read it again. He says, For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. The difference between His first coming and His second coming is like the difference between a firecracker and an atomic bomb. That's right. But then look what He says next in verse 25. But first, before He comes, He must first suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And we know, what's He talking about there? His crucifixion. That's right. He did suffer many things and He was rejected by that generation. And then in verse 26, He tells you a little bit about what the days are going to be like when He does come back. Because remember, we're longing for it as believers. We're desiring for it, right? We so want to see just one of His days and we don't see it. And so He says here, this is what the days are going to look like in verse 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. Well, let's see what it was like in the days of Noah. What, do you, what would you expect Him to say here? What was it like in the days of Noah? That's what you would expect Him to say here, right? But let's see if that's what He says. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. What's he saying there? No. Uh-uh. There, this, is, this is everyday normal life. This ain't nothing special here. They eat, they drink. How many of y'all ate and drank today? Is it wrong to marry or give in marriage? Those are godly things, right? He's not just talking about the wickedness. Now we know that wickedness does increase in the last days, but the point that he's making here is that everybody is going to be living normal, everyday lives. We're going to be going through this world as if everything is just fine. People all over the world are going to be living their lives not desiring to see the the coming of the Lord, not looking for His coming. They're just eating, drinking, uh, marrying, and giving in marriage. Y'all see that? That's what the world is going to be like when He comes back. It's kind of like this. Jesus said, uh, when I come, I'm coming like a thief in the night. What does that mean? When you least expect Him, right? I mean, you don't expect the thief in, in the middle of the night. It, it, this, is, this is something that we see. He's coming at a time when, when no one's really looking for Him. Alright? And that's going to be a problem because He's going to talk about His disciples need to make sure that we're watching and waiting. That we are longing and desiring for His return. So let's go to the next example in verse 28. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, They were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. There again, everybody's just living life. Everybody's just, we've got comfortable in this world. Do you see what he's saying? 
We've just got comfortable in this world and we've just going out and doing our jobs and paying our bills and, and just loving life here. And all of a sudden, before they know it, fire rains down. The saved are called out. Lot goes. Noah and his family get on the boat. The flood comes, wipes them away during normal everyday life. Lot and his family headed out. God's saving them, bringing them out. But at the same time, fire and sulfur is coming in and wiping them out. And it all happened while the majority of the world is sitting back just living normal everyday life. They're not watching. They're not waiting. They're not longing and desiring. One of the points I'm trying to make tonight is as bad as times like these hurt, on one side of it, I'm thankful that God reminds me, that God reminds me that this is not my home. This is not where I'm building God's kingdom at. I am longing to get to the place where God's kingdom is. I am longing for Him to come back and wipe out all of this cursed mess so that we can be in a place with Him where there is no curse, where there is no curse at all. This is what it's going to be like on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Look at verse 31. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. So in this day and time, in their culture, you know how like we have a, a deck or a patio with a fire pit or something and sometimes you'll gather around outside? Or some people back in my grandparents' day, the front porch was the place. I don't know if y'all ever did that, but my grandparents, we would all come over and sit on the front porch and there'd usually be somebody picking a guitar and somebody singing and then the whole family just starts singing together and that's just what we did. And so in this culture, they all met on the rooftop. They had flat roofs and what they would do is they would set some furniture up there and have some plants up there and it's still that way in that culture. So the rooftop is where they're at. So they're up there and they're just living life on the rooftop but all of a sudden, here comes the Lord. He's coming back. And He says, if you're on the rooftop and you're just lounging when He comes back, don't go down into the house to start getting things. Don't do that. Keep your eye focused on where you're going, not what you're leaving behind, okay? Because none of this matters. And if it does matter, there's a problem. And we're going to find that out here in just a minute, but keep going. And also, he says, likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. When you see the Lord coming, you just go to Him. <laughs> you just keep your eye on Him. You go to Him. You're getting out of here. It's time. He's back. I've been waiting. And now we're going. Here we go. And that's the kind of mindset He's telling you to have here. Desiring to see. Y'all see that? Desiring to see just one of His days. And now here we are. We're here. And if you're on the rooftop, don't you worry about that stuff down in your house. If you're out in the field working, don't you worry about the plow and the horses. You keep your eye focused and you go to Him. All right? Yeah. Well, go to the next verse. Verse 32. 
<laughs> I'm not going to teach. I'm going to let the Word of God speak. What does He say in verse 32? Again, that's the point. That's the point. So let me ask you the question. What's the first lesson Jesus teaches us about making sure we are ready whenever He comes back? Huh? Remember Lot's wife. She's right. Stay focused. Don't look off. Don't worry about these things. What, what was wrong with Lot's wife? Somebody tell me. What happened there? That's right. She was the one that would have been on the housetop and whenever God was calling her out... Listen, she went to church, didn't she? Matter of fact, she's part of the saved household. But the problem was she saw more value in what God was destroying than what God was promising. And that's a problem. Because what that shows is you don't really believe what God is promising is far better than anything that this world has to offer. Anything. And so we remember Lot's wife. She is the one that we find out where our heart really is. Because we all say we love Jesus. You wouldn't be here tonight if, if something in you didn't say, I love the Lord Jesus. We all say that. But you want to find out where your heart truly is? Put yourself in a Lot situation. The question is, do we get so focused and do we get so locked in on what God is destroying that instead we're not focused on His coming and desiring that one day He's going to get rid of all of this stuff. One day He's going to wipe all this out. The Bible tells us in Peter that He's going to melt it with fervent heat. He's going to melt it all away with fervent heat and He's going to make it all new again. And so we're going to find out where our heart's in on this day. Lot's wife exposed her heart when she looked back. And that's what God told her. The same warning that we're getting right here from Jesus is the same warning that the angel of God told Lot's wife. He told them on the way out, whatever you do, don't worry about this stuff back here. Don't look at it. Don't look back. Don't be concerned with it because God is saving you and He's bringing you out of a place of destruction that He is going to melt away with fervent heat and He's bringing you to a better place. And you keep your eye focused on that. And that's something that I believe this lesson is so important because up until here recently, um, even myself, I take my eye off of that so easily. So easily. Keep going with me. Look what he says next in verse 33. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will end up losing it. If this is really what you want, if this is where your desire is, if you see more value in the cursed sinful world and the cursed sinful things of this world, then you do the promises of God you're actually going to lose it. Everything, no matter how much you love it, you cannot keep it. Whoever seeks to preserve this life, you're going to lose it. But look what he says next. He says, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Whoever, like Lot, 
What did Lot lose whenever, I mean, as far as worldly things, what did Lot lose when he walked away from Sodom and Gomorrah? Everything. He lost it. But he didn't look back going, oh, I can't believe what I'm losing. I can't believe I'm not going to be able to keep this and keep this. His wife, on the other hand, that's exactly what she thought. She looked back and in her heart, she said, I'm losing this and I'm losing that and I'm losing this. And ultimately that says, God, I don't trust that what you have for me is far better. Far better. And so whoever seeks to preserve his life, you're going to ultimately end up losing it. But whoever loses his life is going to ultimately end up keeping it. Verse 34, I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. And he's just basically saying that all across the world, there's going to be people that were waiting for His coming and people that were longing and desiring to see His coming, and they're going to go out. And at the exact same place, there's also going to be somebody that they're going to lose everything, their life included. So he goes on next and he says in verse 35, there will be two women grinding together. And there again he's talking about in that day and time in that culture, they're going in the early morning hours and they're grinding their meal for, um, for cooking. And he says two women will be grinding together and one will be taken and the other will be left. And they said to him, where Lord? In other words, they want to know, where in the world are, what do you mean they're going to be left? What do you mean they're going to be taken? What do you mean they're going to be left? What? Where? Where is this going to take place, Lord? And look what he says next. And he said to them, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. In other words, where is this going to take place? You'll know by what? Wherever the bodies are. Wherever the bodies are. When he comes back, he is going to judge and destroy even the bodies that are left. And he says here that wherever the corpses are gathered, that's where all this is going to take place at. And then he goes on in verse um, 1 of chapter 18, and he tells us the next way that we make sure that we are ready and waiting for His coming. And he told them a parable. Now again, who's he talking to? His disciples. So he tells them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart in their prayers. Here's the second way that we make sure that we are watching and longing and desiring. The first way, we remember Lot's wife. If you try to save your life, if you try to make it about this world, if you're on your housetop and all you can think about is what you're leaving behind, you're going to lose it. Remember Lot's wife and do not set your focus on all this that's in this world. You set your focus on where we're going, on what God has promised, and you make that, as I preach Sunday morning, where the highways are that your heart is seeking. That's the highway that my heart is on. That's where I want to be. And then he says, the second way, men ought to always pray. We don't stop praying. And we don't lose heart in our prayers. Why would a disciple of Jesus lose heart in praying? What did you say, Robert? Well, you think about it. Remember, 
He said the days, in the days here, between the first coming and the second coming, what are you going to be doing? Longing. Longing to see one of His days. Do you know why you're longing? you know why you're desiring? In the midst of that, you know what else you're doing? You're praying. You're praying. But notice what He says there. You will long to see it, but you will not see it. In other words, there's going to be a time of great suffering in this time period between the first coming and the second coming, especially for disciples. And so he tells them here very plainly. He says, you need to make sure that you do not lose heart in your prayers. That you keep praying. Always pray. And don't lose heart. Now here's the parable that he tells them to make sure that they understand it. In verse 2 he says, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. So this is a big deal to a Jew. Because one of the things that you go back and read about in the Old Testament is that judges were expected to be just. They were expected to fear God. They were expected to regard men and to make sure that they had a heart to do what is right. But now they have the worst person that they can think of. A judge who his job is to determine what is right and wrong and to give justice and yet... He don't care about man at all. And he don't fear God. If he don't fear God, guess what? He don't care about doing right. He has no desire, no concern to do right whatsoever. And if he don't regard you as man, guess what? He don't care about you. He has no care whatsoever about doing what is right towards you. So that's the problem that this judge has. But now notice what we have next in verse 3. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Now, here's what you have on the other side of it. Now, in this day and time, to be a widow, guess what? You've got nobody. As a matter of a fact, in this culture, a woman is not even allowed in the court system. She can't even, she don't even have the right to come before this judge. The only reason she's able to come here at all is because she don't have anyone. There is no one else that she can turn to. She don't have any help. She has no one. And so on one side of it, this judge is her only hope. But what's the problem with the judge? He don't care at all. But she keeps coming. Now look at verse 4. And for a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man. Now notice, he knows who he is. He knows that he's a, a self-centered person that does not care about man. I, and he just confessed here. I don't care anything about this widow. Now, think about it. If she were his, his mother, maybe, maybe he would care about her. Or if she were his sister or his daughter even, then yeah. But he don't have any regard for her whatsoever. 
And again, he don't fear God. He has no concern and he knows this. And he says here, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust, unrighteous judge says. And will God not give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? I tell you, He will give them justice to them and He'll do it speedily. Now is Luke or is Jesus saying that God is like this unjust judge? What's He saying here? Okay. Is He saying then, Donnie, is He saying that if you beat God down enough, what's He saying? Okay. Melinda, what do you think? What's He saying here? Okay. So, would you? I'm sorry. Okay. Let me tell you, you're very close, but you're still missing it. Here's what he's doing. What's the difference in a comparison and a contrast? If I compare something, what am I doing? I'm finding the way they're alike. If I contrast, what am I doing? So here's what he's doing. He's making a contrast. Basically, if an unjust judge that has absolutely no reason to help this woman can be persuaded by a persistent coming, then how much more Can God be persuaded, if you will? Because does God have any interest? Does God not fear God? (laughs) Or does God care about right? He does care about what's right, okay? Very much so, right? Does God regard man? He regards those that have faith in Him, for sure, correct? And not just regards them, but loves them enough that He would give them His own Son. And so if God has all of those reasons to hear your prayer, why would you quit praying? Why would you lose heart? Why would you quit believing that He is hearing, that He is listening, and that as much as is possible to do for our good and His glory, He will do it. He will answer. He will give us what we ask for. Or let me say this, I said it in a sermon a few weeks ago. He will give us what we would have asked for if we knew what He knows. That's what God will do every time we pray. And so He tells us here, Will God not give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? In other words, there is a delay here. He doesn't. He does not argue this and Jesus does not deny that there is delay a lot of times in our prayers. But will He delay long over them? I tell you, 
He will give justice to them speedily. He is going to give justice and He is going to come. But look what it says next because this is the point I'm getting to tonight. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? This is how we tie all of this together. Remember how we started this? You're going to desire to see. But the problem is the days when I come back are going to look like the days when Noah... How many people were seeking God in the days of Noah? Yet Noah's going around preaching, right? Noah's going around and warning and preaching and preaching, and yet Noah and his family were the ones that were seeking God, that were waiting on Him, and that got in the ark when the flood swept the rest of them away. And what's everybody else doing during that time? Just living life. They're not desiring the coming of the Lord. They're not praying as we should be praying, Lord, come quickly. Lord, come quickly. This is, this is not where it's at. That's not their, where their heart is. And so the same way in the days of Lot. In the days of Lot, he says, they just live in normal everyday life. And how many people... And Peter tells us that Lot was a preacher of righteousness. Peter tells us that Lot apparently went throughout Sodom and Gomorrah trying to warn people. Now we don't get to read about that in Genesis, but somewhere or another, somewhere down the line, Jewish tradition was handed down and Peter understood that Lot went around preaching to people that, listen, judgment is coming, judgment is coming, judgment is coming. But instead of them turning from their sin and seeking after God and longing for His righteousness, they just live normal everyday life. So what is one of our biggest hindrances to not desiring and longing for His return? What's one of our biggest hindrances to the Lord not finding faith in us when He comes back. Normal everyday life. And, and I think that I think this is depicted in a lot because when they when they divided their wealth, Lot looked off to the green valleys and so forth, and, and he chose the the place of of the USA. Yeah. And he had all the fringe benefits that he needed. Right. That's right. The choicest land, the, the choicest crops, the, the cattle, the... Right. I guess I respect a lot a lot because he walked away from it and didn't look back. Right. But I like why I was in the third world countries. If I had to choose Giles County for one of those, guess where I would choose? Yeah. But again, the same principle... It's where our faith and the materialistic of life separates the spirit from the flesh. Yeah. And 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 we have been blessed so much in this USA that we don't think we need a God anymore. Right. And well, and that's the reason I say it. Unfortunately, it takes tragedy yeah. to open our eyes and to put our focus back on eternity, not on the temporary. So what is the solution for the problem of normal everyday life hindering us according to Jesus? 
What is it that we can do? What is it that we need to apply to our life from this Scripture to make sure that normal everyday life doesn't hinder us from the longing and the desire of our Lord and Savior coming back to destroy it all? Okay. Yeah. You're you're absolutely right. Every one of those are 100% correct, but you're missing the one that I'm looking for that's in the text right there. Remember Lot's wife. That's the warning that Jesus gives us. That is the application for us. Remember Lot's wife. Do not let normal everyday life, do not let the things of this world get you so focused that you sitting here saying, Lord, I'm all about you. And yet, what does your life say? Because how many times have I said in my life, Lord, I'm waiting on you, I believe in you, I'm trusting in you, and yet my life is all about this world. Come on, am I the only one? So how does this apply to your life? Somebody tell me, how does that apply to your life? Right now, how does this apply to you? Okay. All right. And those people have nothing, and a lot of times they don't even have, like, not even a a rotten, molded tortilla to eat, and they still lose their focus in Christ, and they have nothing. Right. They still have their, they're still, have the world. Right. And they have nothing, no material possessions. I'm sure thinking, well, America's my problem, greed, and work, and stuff, and yeah. Yeah. Well, and let me say this at the at the chance that you might misunderstand me, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Notice that he didn't that he said here that if you're on the rooftop and you have goods down in your house, he's not saying that it's wrong to have goods in your house. That's right. What is most important to you as a Christian, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ? What takes priority in your life when it comes to spiritual things, the kingdom of God, versus worldly things, the kingdom that's fixing to be destroyed? Yeah. Right, right. He heard all this. Mm-hmm. He's hearing every bit of it. He didn't remember a lot. Well, that's the reason it's important to me. 
That's why I'm asking, that's why I'm asking you tonight that this be more than just a Bible study. My question is, how does it apply to you? Because you're not exempt from normal everyday life. You're not, none of us are exempt from that. That's right. You got to get in the race and then you got to finish it. But the thing that I want to keep in mind too is that we need, there's two things I think, at least two things that I think he's saying here. He's saying, remember Lot's wife. Don't forget that lesson. That's a very important lesson. And then, and don't make the mistake that she made. Um, keep your eye focused on his coming so that when he comes, that's what you've been waiting on. That's what you've been longing for. Or when death comes knocking at your door, that's what you've been waiting on. <laughs> this is just my entrance into the kingdom of God. And then the second step, always pray and don't lose heart. And what are we praying for? What are we praying for? Come, Lord, Come quickly. Give me justice for my adversary. Come quickly and wipe evil out of this world and bring your righteousness and build your kingdom. That's what I'm longing for. That's what I want to be a part of. And don't quit praying. He told them this parable to the effect that men ought to always pray and not lose heart in your praying. Keep praying. Keep praying and keep praying. Shirley, did you have something that you wanted to say? Yeah. Well, and I think that's why Jesus said, and again, it's not that it's not that we don't um, love those things because I think that would go completely against the command of Christ of loving one another, especially loving your own family. So I don't think that that's that's. But I do know that Jesus did say this, and we can't ignore it. If you don't hate your mother, your brother, and your sister, and your kids, and your daughter. What, and what was he saying there? Was he saying that we need to hate people? No. no. What was he saying? That's right. So again, yes, we should love our children. Yes, we should love those things. But again, our focus needs to be on the fact that one day, as much as we love our children or anybody else, one day, even they... Even the bodies they live in are temporary. They are. We don't like it. That's the world we live in. And we need to always keep in mind that that's why I'm still looking for that. That's why I want to make sure that my kids know the Lord, that they're longing for the Lord because they're going to the same place that I'm longing to get to. Does that make sense? All right. So I ask you one more time. How does this apply to you? I know for me personally, it's been a long time since I have genuinely had a desire in my heart to pray, Lord, come quickly. I've been pretty content with the way things are. Pretty okay with this world. Even in its cursed form. And I have no idea why in the world I would think for one second that... This is okay until 
we start experiencing the things that we're experiencing here recently. I sit in a room with a young lady today that just sit there and just bawled over her mom that just that fast. Wasn't expecting it. I mean, she was sick, yes, but I mean, we weren't not like that. And I, I sit there and I watch it and I just think, and you're helpless. You can't do anything. And you just sit there and you and you look at it and you're reminded. God, thank you. Thank you that you remind me that this ain't where it's at. This is not where it's at. Thank you that you remind me that I'm looking for you. I'm looking for you to get back. I'm looking for you to come and take care of all this and get rid of all this and take all this suffering away. And I'm looking for that time when I'm with you and none of that is anymore. None of that is anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 Yeah. But that's what um, all day today. That that scripture right there has what's been on my heart is that we as his disciples need to be looking and longing for his return. And if we're not, how much of us is more like Lot's wife than we realize? If we're not, how many of us are praying constantly, Lord, come quickly. Lord, bring Your kingdom. Lord, Your kingdom come. Lord, Your will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. God, deliver us from evil. God, we're looking forward to the day that You come back. And I think that that's a time of self-examination for all of us here tonight to make sure that, that our hearts are looking toward that. And again, I hate to say this, but y'all know it's true. Unfortunately, it takes some tragedy in our life to remind us, to remind us that this is not where it's at. So remember Lot's wife. Don't you forget it. Don't you get so caught up in normal everyday life that you end up just like the majority of the ones in Noah's day and the majority of the one in Lot's days. And don't you get so caught up in normal everyday life that you're not praying always for His kingdom to come. But you apply those things to your life. You remember Lot's wife and you remember it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Right. That's right. Any any other comments? That's right, with fervent heat again, like I said. That's right. Anybody else have any comments tonight? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, that's the way it should be for a true believer. Faith should 
begin to get stronger with each, as we say Sunday morning from the psalm, we go from strength to strength. Right. Oh yeah. But that tiredness only increases our longing so that whenever we do get to the end of it, we say, I fought the good fight. <laughs> I finished the race. I kept the faith. But I just, again, when I read the end of that, will the Son of Man find faith when He comes? Well, how much of it did they find in Noah's day? How much of it did they find in Lot's day? So how much of a danger is it there for us? (laughs) I don't think we take that quite serious enough. So remember Lot's wife. And always pray and don't lose heart in your prayers. And He will... Answer speedily. All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We'll dismiss. Father, I thank You again for Your Word. God, it's such a precious warning to us. And um, God, I thank You for the comfort that it brings. It reminds us that, um, Lord, we have reason to look forward to Your second coming. We have reason not to, even though You're coming to destroy on one hand, You're coming to save on the other. And Father, I thank You today that, Lord, we can long for the salvation that is coming. Lord, I thank You that we can long for the day whenever You destroy all of this temporary cursed world that we live in with all of its sin and all of its evil and all of its sorrows. And Father, I thank You so much that, Lord, when that day comes, Lord, You are bringing us to a place that eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, It has never even entered into our imagination the things that You have prepared for us, God. And Father, I just pray that You would help us, Lord. Help us to really think about what it means to remember Lot's wife. Father, help me to think about what that means in my life. How do I remember Lot's wife? And what what does that look like in my life? And Father, I pray that You would help every one of us here to do that tonight. Father, I pray that You would help us to, to look and see... Um, just how much of a desire we have in our prayers for to, to say, Lord, come quickly. Lord, come quickly. And Father, I hate that it takes curse and tragedy to bring us to that point. But God, I pray that that's what the curse and the tragedies of this world do. Father, I pray that it only creates more longing in us for the day when You come and rid us of all of it. Father, I thank You again that, um, Lord, You are so long-suffering with us. Father, You know that we're no different than all those people in Lot's day, all those people in Noah's day. Father, we get caught up in the same normal everyday life. We get caught up in the same sinfulness. And Father, we get caught up not seeking You. And Father, I thank You for the warning tonight. And I pray, God, that You would help us. Help us to get our focus right. Help us to get our priorities right. Help us to long for You and You alone, Father. And Lord, I pray, God, that You would just keep speaking to us, keep growing us, keep teaching us, Lord. We're we're listening. Father, just just keep being patient with us, and I know You will. Father, we love You, we praise You, and we ask You for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.